Lord has given me a gift. Only one. I am the most complete fighter in the world. And welcome back to Adkins Undisputed, the most complete Scott Adkins podcast in the world. I'm your host, Mike Scott, on this journey through the career of one of the most exciting action stars of our time. This week, we're messing with the timeline a little bit because I need to get this episode out in June since it's June Sploitation and this week's champion, Adam Risky, and I talk about it quite a bit. There's only a little bit of the month left, but it's never too late to come and play along. This week, we're moving to 2016 for the Ariel Vroman-directed thriller Criminal. Criminal stars Kevin Costner as Jericho Stewart, a sociopath who, due to childhood abuse, has no ability to function in society. After Ryan Reynolds' CIA agent Bill Pope is killed while trying to hide a weapons creator known as Xavier Heimdall, Pope's memories are implanted in Stewart and all hell breaks loose. It's far more complicated than it needs to be, frankly. Criminal was a movie that I remembered kind of liking the first time I saw it, but I'll be honest, this time was a rough watch for me, as Adam and I will discuss. Chopper, Gabby, you are cleared for approach. Jericho Stewart. He's in and out of prison more than half his life. He's got no impulse control. He's unable to calculate the consequences of his actions. He has a total lack of empathy for anybody or anything. He feels nothing. You know who I am? My head. Your name is Bill Pope. You're an intelligence officer with the CIA. Your daughter's name? Emma. Your wife, Jill, huh? What are you doing to me? Hey, hey, look at me. Pay attention. Jan Stroop, Dutch programmer. He needed protection. Remember? You got him to the safe house. Where did you put him? That is all we need to know. I need you to remember. I don't remember nothing.
The film stars an all-star cast that has to be seen to be believed, including Gary Oldman, Tommy Lee Jones, Jordi Mola, Alice Eve, and Wonder Woman herself, Gal Gadot. It's written by Douglas Cook and David Weisberg, who may sound familiar as the credited writers of Michael Bay's 1996 masterpiece, The Rock, though Bay credits Jonathan Hensley as the actual writer of that film. Director Vroman was most well-known for directing the Michael Shannon, Chris Evans vehicle, The Iceman, which is frankly terrific, so it's fair to say that Criminal was a letdown. The film made $38 million on a $31 million budget, so it wasn't exactly a failure, but it was far from a runaway hit, given the pedigree. Our boy Scott shows up as CIA agent Pete Greensleeves, who spends most of the movie behind a computer. In fact, most of this movie takes place behind computers. You know, we complain about the Bourne movies ruining action scenes, but I almost blame them more for giving us so damn many movies where people track things on computers. Watching people watch computers and cameras is not entertaining people. Anyway, I digress. I talked to Scott about working on this film, especially the fact that he worked with arguably his favorite actor in Gary Oldman. So let's hear what he had to say. To kind of bring up is one that I got to think for you as somebody growing up in England, uh, wanting to be an actor, being an actor, uh, getting to work with Gary Oldman had to be something. So let's talk about Criminal really quick. Uh, what a cast in this friggin' movie, Scott. The the cast in this movie is just, uh, it, it's up there with the best casts you I think you've ever worked with. It's unreal, the people in this movie. Absolutely, yes. Um, Millennium Films, uh, I auditioned for it and Ariel gave me the job. And yeah, Gary Oldman has been my favorite actor all this time. Him and Anthony Hopkins. I mean, I, I obviously admire many actors, but I always said oh, um, Gary Oldman and, and Anthony Hopkins have always been my favorites. Um, I love Gary Oldman because he likes to go big, <laughs> uh, but he's always very believable. He's a fantastic actor. I mean, obviously he's done things like Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy Now, and Mank, which are very different. But back in the day when he was doing stuff like The Professional and uh, Sid and Nancy and True Romance, you know, those characters he created. And he would have a lot of fun with them. And he br- he brought that to this film as well, Criminal. Obviously, he's playing a character that he's sort of played many times. Not that dissimilar to, I suppose, the, the character he's in, in uh, Commissioner Gordon in The Dark Knight. You know, uh, I remember... Yeah, just working with him was amazing to be that close to him, to work with him, to see how he is on set. And he really does laugh and have a joke and he messes about with the cast. And in rehearsal, he'll say the lines in, in uh, you know, like a, a Marlon Brando voice or a Michael Caine voice or whatever, messing around. And then you start messing about with him and then they say action and it's the take and he's pitch perfect. It's just brilliant. And you've got to be careful that you're not still left messing around because he's just effortless with it. I thought I was going to learn something from him, but I learned nothing. I learned that he's effortless and he's just genius. And uh, it's just like his talent is almost seems just God given. He just has brilliant instincts as an actor. Um, It's not even from talking to him that much about technique. It's just, the instincts that he has to make the correct choices 
Um, so to see someone like him and Tommy Lee Jones and uh, obviously Kevin Costner up close, Ryan Reynolds again, I've never met the guy He's in that film, but he shot all his stuff before I started. Uh, but yeah, fabulous cast. And Gal Gadot at that time, I mean, she wasn't Wonder Woman. Um, and uh, look at her now. So yeah, it was a good, good uh, film to be part of. Well, and, and you know, Ariel Vroman directed, uh, I think, a underappreciated modern almost masterpiece in the Iceman with Michael Shannon and, and Chris Evans, which I, I just, I don't know if you've actually seen that movie, but I've seen it. And did you know it's produced by the same producer of Avengement Debt Collectors and Close Range? I did not. Yeah. Ahud Blyberg. I, I did not. Um, I thought that was an absolutely terrific movie. So, you know, getting to, again, getting to work with him and, and this does kind of, work a little bit in where you're at in your career right now. You know, we talked a while ago about, you You, you know, you did Zero Dark Thirty. And yeah, sometimes your role's like in Criminal. I think it's fair to say your, your role in Criminal is certainly not the biggest role you've ever had. But getting to work in these bigger movies and getting to work with all these people, you know, just had to be a great feeling for you uh, at, at the time. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, well, that was the year, I think it was uh, 2014 when we shot it. And that year I said to my agents, I said, look, I'm not doing any of these low-budget action films this year. I want theatrical movies. It's time to get up to the next rung of the ladder. So with all the best intentions, I was turning everything down unless it was an A-list movie. And so I ended up doing nothing. <laughs> and I did Brothers Grimsby and I did Criminal. And I did not get paid the sort of money that I was used to getting paid. I mean, I'm talking not getting paid much at all, but you, you want to be in that type of movie. You, you've got to be willing to take a little bit of a hit. Um, so the whole of that year, that that was the way I did it. And I, I just, by the time it was that year was over, it was like, man, I'm, I'm broke. You know, this, is, this isn't working. Uh, so I went back to doing some of the, the stuff I was previously doing. Um, so yeah, you know, that that's that's difficult. You know, it's that that that's the problem. The the lower budget movies they'll tend to pay you some more because you attaching your name to that gets them the money. So you know you can get paid more money doing it. But something like Criminal, um, Doctor Strange, you know, bigger movies, you're not going to get paid much really. So it's it's tough. Well, and it is it is interesting. <laughs> Because it is a balancing act. Because, you know, the whole time we've been talking for months now, you know, it's always been your thing that you are an actor first and foremost. That is what you do. And so you want to be in movies like Criminal. But then there's also, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. And if I'm speaking out of turn, don't don't hesitate to, to smack me around here. But... There is also this interesting thing of, you know, I, I made, uh, I didn't remember jotting down a, just a joke headline that says the real criminal thing about criminal is Scott Adkins is behind a computer for most of the movie, uh, <laughs> which of course is not, you know, I mean, you're trying to break your way into these big movies, but I do have to imagine the weird balancing act of you are the big fish in this pond of 
these direct-to-video action movies that we all love. And it's like, I, I, I don't know how an actor who has one foot in both worlds like you manages to juggle it because I, I do think there's got to be some inherent tension there, right? You you know you can star in a, a, a low-budget movie in Bulgaria, but at a certain point, you want to do something different. You want to challenge yourself. Um, and, you know, I'm not in, obviously I've never been in that position, but I'm just, I guess I'm just trying to offer that I have, I have sympathy for the difficulty balancing act you've had to do for most of your career as far as that goes. Yeah. Cause you want to get up the rung of the ladder. You want to get into the A-list movers and you're seeing these lower tier movers. I mean, I don't like to, I mean, they are low budget, but it's almost disparaging way of talking about them you know we don't go into it one wanting to make a b movie or, or a crappy low budget movie you know we have less money but we're, we're trying our best to make it as good as possible within the the realms of um you know everything that we've got available to us mostly t- time and money yeah you want to do these a-list movies because you don't want to be seen you want to you want to get up the, the next rung of the ladder right but it's every time i've done an a-list movie it's almost like I'm not given the opportunity to shine. You know what I mean? Like even something like American Assassin, there was every opportunity to have a chance to shine in that movie, especially if you went with how the book was. Um, my character had a much bigger part, but I don't know. It's, it's never gone my way that way. It, it, something like Doctor Strange, it was like, oh, I hope this can be the one where people can see me do something cool on a bigger stage and I get noticed. Uh, but it never really seems to go that way for me. So it's really frustrating and obviously, when I do a lower budget movie um, where I can have the main role, um, I can show more of what I'm capable of. And obviously, people appreciate that because you know, I wouldn't be talking to you and I wouldn't have the amount of fans I've got on Facebook and all the rest of it. You know, I know that my films are popular, but on the big stage, I'm not often afforded the chance to what I'm really capable of. And I guess that's what we're talking about. But also the fact that I, in 2014, I decided I'm only doing A-list movies and I didn't work as much and I didn't get paid enough to really uh, justify it. That would also show why I did so many films in 2015. I was playing catch up, I think. Well, and, and it, it does make sense because, yeah, I, you know, I, I sort of think we talked about it when we last recorded Hercules, you know, you, you had a pretty, you had a very plum role in Hercules, um, as, as the villain, but you, you are right. It does feel like it's a thing that as somebody who, as you can imagine, talks to a lot of your fans, um, because they usually, when they reach out to me on Twitter, they always seem to tag you. So I apologize for messing up your mentions, but, um, but you know, it is one of those things where, we get so excited when we see your name pop up in, in one of an actual Hollywood movie. And then there is this part of being a fan of yours. That's kind of like, and it's never, you know, it's never you, like none of us are ever mad at you. It's always just this idea of like, why as a Hollywood movie, if you're going to cast you, cast you to be you cast you to do the things that you which isn't just the martial arts i mean i will say at least grimsby you know they're casting you to be a larger than life villain in that movie Uh, as much as i enjoy criminal i have always thought it was a bit strange and i'm glad you got cast in the movie and you got to work with everybody but i've always thought it was a bit strange that it's like 
you've got an action movie and you have Scott Adkins sitting kind of behind a computer for most of the movie. And, and that was just always sort look, of... I mean, for me, I want to, you know, especially at this point, I'm still trying to dispel the rumors of, oh, that guy can't act. So for me to be in a film with all those high-powered, brilliant actors and I hold my own with them as an actor, you know, proves that that is not the case. So that's part of the reason for me. And also to be in a bigger movie like that, to be talked more seriously and, oh, right, this guy's a player, you know, we should look at him for some future stuff, which didn't happen. But certainly to be uh, sharing the screen with those acting icons um, helps me. Because, you know, as we talk about it, it's not just about... Yeah, I mean, I love action films and, and martial arts and I'm passionate about it and that's what I do. But it's very important for me to be able to prove that I'm more than that um, because it takes more than that to become a successful A-list actor, doesn't it? You've got to be the whole package. And so it, it's, it, it was all part of a plan to try and prove that, which up to that point has not paid off or maybe even this point. But, you know, still working on it, still doing my best, you know. Well, and I think one of the things that's happened is it has helped you dispel, you know, I don't want to just blow smoke up your ass, but it, it has helped dispel uh, this idea that you can't act. You know, even your your low budget movies, I think we, you know, anybody that, you know, we'll talk about the movie later, but for instance, just to pick one out of, out of, the, out of the air, you know, Max Cloud, man, you, you are so goddamn funny in that movie <laughs> and and that is one of the things i've really enjoyed seeing lately and i've been harping on for years is that your comedic talents are not uh, as well used as as they and they're starting to be more well used because your sense of comedic timing and things like that and that is one of the things that i think is interesting and you know you've mentioned you're starting to you've been exerting sort of some more control and being more selective and and maybe that is part of it but i am seeing a lot of your movies now really showing a much broader range you know the debt collector movies you know and again we'll talk about those but part of what people love about those movies is not the fights. It's you and, and Louis Mandalore and your banter and your consistently like, you know, jabbering back and forth and playing off each other so well. So, you know, you are getting there. You are showing those things off. Well, uh, that, that's the switch would come at the, this point, I guess 2016 onwards from accident man onwards you'll see me taking more of a, more control behind the scenes and trying to get projects that I believe in and scripts that I think are good and even writing scripts and trying to take control of the quality of, of movies I'm going to do that are still, if you want, considered low budget or whatever. But, you know, it's something that we can do well at that budget because I believe in the scripts and I'm starting to inject a bit more personality and comedy into it and things that I like. Um, but up to this point, was kind of at the mercy of uh, whatever part came my way or whatever project um, somebody offered to me and I decided to take it. Uh, but from Accident Man onwards, you're seeing me create projects and, and uh, you know, make them and, and it, I've got a lot of creative control behind them. So, yeah. Well, and it's certainly, I think, you know, again, we'll talk about them, but it shows. I, I think it, it shows in the 
range that we get to see from your movies uh, now. You know, I, I mean, you made Legacy of Lies and Max Cloud in basically the same year. And they're, you know, when we started talking about your career, that kind of variation just wasn't typically something that we saw. And so I think it's I think it's great. Um, but enough, I don't, I don't want you to get a big ego. I don't want to keep giving you compliments. <laughs> oh, that's the only reason I'm doing the show. <laughs> I know. Well, I know. I know. I, I understand completely. Um, and again, I want to remind anyone who's listening that it sometimes gets a bit weird to be talking about myself so much, but I just thought if, if someone's doing a, a podcast thing called Adkins podcast, I owe it to this guy at the very least to have a chat. So, well, and, and, and no, thank you again. And, and that is the thing is it has been, you know, we've had a lot of, uh, strong support from a very dedicated group of listeners because I think you coming on this show just confirms what a lot of us kind of already knew about you, which is you are somebody who uh, takes what he does very seriously and it helps me take you know, convince everybody that what you do should be taken seriously. Um, you know, one of the things that we end up, I end up rallying about on Twitter all the time is that there is all of this great literature about the horror genre. There's all these great podcasts. There's all this great scholastic research and why these things matter and why these movies are important and action movies, especially the DTV VOD arena of action movies just doesn't have the same, attention paid to it so what you know some of us as we've are have taken to calling it on action twitter are really trying to do is really highlight that these movies have so much more value than what people give them credit for and that's only bolstered by you coming on and talking about it because you and i can spend you know we spent almost an hour talking about day of reckoning and after that episode dropped I saw so many tweets about people seeing, watching Day of Reckoning and just being blown away by it. And other people who are like, oh, yeah, you're all you're all getting in on Day of Reckoning now. Like, good for you. Like, um, good yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That's what Honestly, there isn't much more to say about Criminal that Adam and I don't talk about. So let's get to this week's champion, Adam Risky. So what are we waiting for? Bring me your fucking champion. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have another returning champion this week. For this episode, we actually implanted him with Patrick Bromley's memories so we could discover the secrets of podcasting success. Adam Risky. Adam, how are you today? I'm very good. That was a really interesting uh, intro. Uh, I don't, I don't, I feel like I would be pretty good. Like if, if you gave me a list of people of whose memories I could have, I think Patrick's would be okay. Yeah, there's a lot worse, right? Like, like I yeah. thought about, I thought about, I thought about going with Rob too. You know, I'm, I'm not sure which one would be a more interesting uh, implanting into your into your mind, but uh, 
Either way, I guess that unfortunately does make you the sociopath out of the group who when people hurt you, you hurt them more. So I don't, I, I guess I just backhandedly insulted you. I apologize for that. <laughs> not, not guilty as charged. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so Adam, we are here to talk about criminal. I, of course, had to have you come on and do this episode because you are the biggest Kevin Costner fan I know, and I was, regardless of what we will say about the movie down the road, I was delighted that you hadn't actually seen this one so that I could introduce you to a Kevin Costner movie that you hadn't seen. Um, the last time you were here, we talked a little bit about uh, you know, your history with action movies and, and Scott Adkins, so I don't want to redo that. Tell me about Kevin Costner. When, when did he become your boy? Yeah, um, I think I, I I was so I was born in the early 80s. Um, I was aware of him like around the time that he hit not so much Silverado, but like when he was in No Way Out and he was in The Untouchables and Bull Durham. He was the guy who was in like the, all the movies that my parents would go on date nights to see the movie or I was just like, oh, it's that guy. So um, it was like him. Don Johnson, Tom Berenger, there was like a stock of like kind of regular dudes who were movie stars. And um, my first Costner movie I think I saw was um, probably Dances with Wolves. And then after seeing Dances with Wolves, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, JFK and The Bodyguard in quick succession, he kind of became like this Boy Scout type character. Um, he was playing that in those movies, like really noble, um, you know, kind of feisty if he wasn't like if if the, if the side of morality wasn't winning. So I always it, that appealed to me when I was a kid, because like him and Harrison Ford as Jack Ryan and Indiana Jones, like I really liked, you know, the real moral good guy. And then as years went on, um, I noticed him really kind of stretching a little bit more and playing different types of roles. And I think he's a really versatile actor and he doesn't get as much credit for that versatility as I think he should. Cause the way I'll compare, I'll describe him it to me, the thing that I think is so interesting about him is he's sort of aged into like, to use an analogy because he's in so many baseball movies, he's like a crafty pitcher. Like he's got like four pitches but he can change the locations on them and he can change speeds on all of them. So in a movie like a perfect world, for example, he's still doing his charming thing that he did in Silverado or or Bull Durham, but he's also playing kind of a psychopathic criminal, which he would play in something like criminal or, you know, even elements of that in water world or things like that. So he can kind of change that around quite a bit. So I think, He's got a real interesting persona because he you would think that he would want to be like a Robert Redford, Paul Newman type where he's just the handsome leading man, very likable. But he seems to have like this real attraction to darker roles, like roles where he's almost like tempting the audience to push against him. And I always find that really interesting, that tension there, because you want to like, Kev or at least me, I want to like Kevin Costner, but he plays some really like, just not even 
you know, they're a killer or they're this or they're that, but like just personality wise, some real rough around the edges, abrasive, thorny type of characters. So he's somebody that um, over the years I've really grown into um, liking to really loving. And now he's my favorite actor. And then of course, draft day was sort of like the Costner Renaissance for me that I needed where I was just like, I love his just grumpiness. He kind of has like, again, to use Harrison Ford as a comparison, like he sort of aged into like the grumpy Harrison Ford role <laughs> in draft day. And I, I, I quite love it. Yeah. Uh, I, I love that you said he's like a crafty pitcher. You you said that, and I immediately thought of um, Chelsea Ross's character from Major League. You know that has like the Crisco under his belt and stuff like that. That that he's like he's an older pitcher, and he's telling Ricky Vaughn, he's like, you know, kid, when you get to be my age, you got to come up with some new tricks. And and I do totally agree. I feel like that's what Costner does. Is he he's come up with different tricks to make himself continually stay interesting and relevant. And I like, I like that he's become sort of prickly uh, and also kind of a cad, you know, in comedies, he's typically sort of playing a cad. Like it's not a good movie. I don't think under any stretch of the imagination, but rumor has it, the, the unofficial Mm -hmm. sequel to the graduate. You know, he's such a cad in that movie and and he's great. I I mean, I if there's a reason to watch that movie, it's Kevin Costner. Um and then yeah, you get some even something like Man of Steel where he's just he's prickly. He's never at this point in his career, he should be the comforting grandpa, right? He yeah. should be Ray Kinsella in his 60s and he's not. He is much more like Harrison Ford. He's almost kind of off-putting in a lot of ways, but I mean that yeah. in a weird complimentary way because it makes him far more interesting on screen. Yeah, he did something um, around the time of The Upside of Anger, which I think was 2005, um, where he was in a lot of bad movies in a row, like The Dragonflies, The 3,000 Miles to Graceland's, The Message in a Bottles, where he was playing the lead. and And that was sort of like the sunset period of him as kind of a bankable leading man. And he could have gone in one of two directions. He could have gone the path of the, you know, Nicholas Cage, John Travolta, John Cusack, Bruce Willis, um, kind of firmly saying like, I want to be the leads in movies, but then kind of being an outlier in Hollywood. And instead Costner was sort of welcoming of taking the back seat and being a supporting actor. And I think that really, as you said, kept him relevant and made him more interesting because now he can afford to be um, a character actor as opposed to just somebody that's there to kind of drive the plot of the movie. Yeah. And and almost even now when he's, even when he's the lead, um, you know, something like Yellowstone or, or even criminal, he's still really doing kind of character actor type of work, right? It's, it's not, yeah. it's not, you know, I, I, I think in particular of, of, uh, the, the Netflix one he did with Woody Harrelson, Highwayman. That's not a leading man role. That is a character actor as the lead of your movie. Uh, and I, yeah. I think that just makes him really interesting. I know you were, I have not seen it yet. I know you were a big fan of let him go. Uh, that was one of your oh, favorite yeah. movies from last year. If I remember correctly. Yeah, 
Yeah, it was my number two movie of 2020 on my on my best of list. Yeah, yeah I, he's I, I still need he's to see great that. in that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and and you you mentioned you know one that I do particularly want to shout out for people listening. You mentioned a perfect world, which I think is. I'm glad you you articulated it the way you did. It's it's almost that perfect combination of the Robin Hood, Bull Durham, charming megastar Kevin Costner with the older, prickly, off-putting, makes you feel kind of weird Kevin Costner. And uh, that's a movie that I think, you know, say what you will about Eastwood movies. There's a lot that can be said about them. But that is one that I think is A, one of Eastwood's best and B, probably does not get talked about nearly enough. No, yeah, it, it, I think it's his best performance. Um, it's not my favorite movie of his. Like, I still love the movie. It's top five, but um, he's phenomenal in it. And it's just like, that's when he had the fastball. And like, that's when he had like one of the best fastballs in all of baseball to, con- to continue using that analogy. But one thing that you'd mentioned with the character actor parts is um, the thing I love about him and another actor like Denzel Washington is, is another example is every character they play, no matter how stock it is, um, you feel like they've lived a life before you've caught up with them in the movie. And they seem very engaged by their fellow actor. Um, so that's something that even in a movie like criminal, which we'll get into, um, He's interesting. Like, I'm, I don't always like maybe what he's doing, but like, there's always something happening in the moments. Like, you can feel like he's he's hanging in it moment to moment. And it's not just like, OK, I'm, you know, going from A to B in the scene. Like, he's going to take a detour and he's going to like, I'll get to B, but I'm going to go like to AA to AAB to <laughs> like before I get to A to B. Yeah, I was actually really I've really noticed that in in a couple of the movies that he's done lately um where he's he's trying to bring some different stuff to it. Uh you know, Criminal is one. I I don't again, much like you, I don't necessarily like where it's going or what it's doing, but He's doing some interesting, you know, another one that I think is he's more interesting in than he has any right to be. And I don't think it's a good movie is Three Days to Kill. Uh, And I think he's doing, again, kind of just trying to make sure that he's always doing something interesting. And he certainly, I think, plays off his other actors very, very well. Yeah, Yeah, I don't I maybe it's a good opportunity to kind of mention this, but when you brought up three days to kill, that's the performance that criminal reminds me of the most, because for whatever reason, um, between criminal three days to kill and the art of racing in the rain, I think that was the name of the movie where he played the voice of a dog. He's doing the same voice. And it's like this smokers, like, like deteriorating, real gruff, like crime dog voice. Yeah, I think you called it, I think you called it on Twitter, we were chatting on Twitter, you called it strep throat voice. Yeah, strep throat voice. Like, and in um, Three Days to Kill, I think, if I'm remembering right, that was the excuse for why his voice was like that. It was like he was sick. 
Um, I can't remember. I think that was one of those movies like Bridge of Spies where like the actor was supposed to be sick throughout the whole movie. Um, but uh, it's weird because like in later in other movies, like later in his career, like Hidden Figures or Molly's Game, I don't remember him having like that gruff of a voice. So it is a choice. I don't think that it's just like his that's how his voice sounds now. Um, but I find it distracting in criminal. It is it is a little distracting because it's a little um I guess I guess this is as good a time as any. We can just start getting into criminal. Um sure. it is a little distracting because it's 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 a little try hard for me. Um, yeah. you know, it, it's a little too much we've already got the narrative establishing uh that that Jericho Stewart is this sociopath who, you know, he's that way because he suffered severe child abuse. Um, which is kind of a great hook, but also weird. Um, and, uh, but yeah. then, but then like, yeah, it's, it's like a little too try hard, a little too trying to sound like Gerard Butler to me is, is what it comes across as. Yeah. I, it, it's just, a, it's also silly sounding in for lack of a better word. Like it sounds like you, you said try hard, but it immediately makes it funny you know in certain scenes where i think that he's supposed to be you know like mickey and mallory knox level intimidating and i don't think that he is um so it's really it's really peculiar and i wish that maybe somebody would say like hey you know it's an interesting choice but i don't know like play it back maybe it doesn't work as well as you think it does in your head so well, that's the thing is, is there's some, I guess, I guess before we get into all the nitty gritty, I guess I should just ask, uh, cause I always start by asking this, Adam, your overall thoughts of criminal before we start breaking down the details. Uh, so you and I started talking just before the show and I think you described it as a, a slog and I'm in the same boat. It's, uh, it's a real, real slowly put slowly paced movie. Um, the story is very stock. Um, it's weird that the cast is so talented and kind of high profile for a movie, this generic. Um, and I found very few things really interesting or entertaining about the movie. Um, it kind of has a lot of problems that are common to, thrillers of like the 2010s which is they get really bogged down in like control room stuff and like government stuff and then you know like international intrigue and missions and missiles and things like that and it's so um it's so kind of scattered that there's it it, it it's overcomplicated in a, in a way like aesthetically i think like because the story unto itself it's just basically like it's face off but like they need to you know um it's but it's like brain off instead <laughs> with ryan reynolds and kevin costner but um i don't know it, it hits a lot of beats that i just don't think are on paper interesting like you know him going Costner as with Ryan Reynolds memory and Ryan Reynolds brain in him now, um, or part of his brain or whatever. I don't know how they explained it. I can't remember, but, um, 
like going back to like reconnect with Gal Gadot, who is his wife, or Ron Reynolds, his wife and their daughter and stuff. It's just not interesting. It just feels like real been there, done that. And if it's like, or him syncing up with, um, you know, the Dutchman, which every time they said the Dutchman, I wanted to scream because they say it like 400 times. It's one of those movies where they mention the Dutchman and the wormhole in the same sentence over and over and over again. And it just sounds very made up. Um, and speaking of which the character names in this movie, we should probably talk about, like, did they put it into like a movie name generator? Like what, like you, you can't have the same movie where characters are named Jericho Stewart, Quaker Wells, Xavier Heimdall, Jan Strook, Pete Greensleeves, and then Ryan Reynolds, his name is Bill Pope, which on its face isn't too, too bad. But then his wife is Jill Pope. So it's Bill and Jill Pope. (laughs) And it's just everything about it feels inorganic and like not real. And I really didn't like it at all at all, except for maybe like a five minute stretch where I think the movie goes real Looney Tunes with Kevin Costner, which I'll I'll get into. But I want I want to hear your thoughts, too. Yeah, I mean, everybody listening knows I try and keep it positive. And, and it's actually, this is actually funny because I saw this when it came out. Because of course okay. I did, because Scott Adkins. And uh, I went back and I, I looked at my old letterbox rating and it basically stayed the same. But I think it was one of those movies that over the years I had sort of retroactively developed more positive thoughts about. Um, and then I watched it again last night in preparation for this. And I was like, no, 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 no. My initial (laughs) instinct was right. Um, it's very surprising to me that a movie that a has as much going on in it as this movie does. And B has a cast of this caliber could be this dull. Um, you know, and, and, and one thing we should mention is the fucking thing runs 113 minutes this should you know i i know there's always all these arguments on twitter about running times of movies and stuff like that but this 100 percent needed to be a 96 minute liam neeson jamai colette sarah joint right because i think one of the things that bogs this down is there is a level of pretension to the movie that when your villain's name is Xavier Heimdall, your movie doesn't warrant, right? This is a pot boiler. This is an exploitation pot boiler that should have just been in and out in no time. And instead it becomes this sort of really long drawn out wanting to kind of be a born type movie that I just think grinds everything to a halt, unfortunately. Yeah, it it should be like a nitty gritty new line type movie, but it said it's like it wants to be like a Paramount Pictures like movie from 1997, where it's just like we we got Philip Noyce to direct it, and it's 135 minutes and stuff like that. It's just like yeah, as you said, very pretentious, the pretentious for what it is, and um, uh, I. 
I mentioned that there's like a bit of a stretch that I thought was fun. And that's only because it just gets like so bad that it's funny at certain points towards the climax where um, Costner beats uh, a, a henchman who I'm going to call Black Widow because she looks exactly like Black Widow with like her hairstyling and costuming. Um, he, he beats her to death with a lamp. And then he just growls at her after it's over, <laughs> which it, it, it's not funny as I'm describing it, but like as you're watching the movie and it's just wearing you down, it becomes really kind of just like what? And then um, there's a scene shortly thereafter where Jordy Mola and Kevin Costner are talking shit to each other. And then Costner's just like, I'm going to fuck you up. I'm going to fuck you up. <laughs> it's just like kind of funny. And then when they meet up, like there's a part where uh, Costner just like doesn't have any bullets and he just throws the gun at Jordy Mola and he like ends up throwing an ax and mix missing him too. And that part I thought was like, okay, at least this movie is a little off the rails now and kind of funny, but um, yeah, it's uh, it. It even wastes Jordy Mola, who I think is like one of the most fun choices for like a character actor villain, even if the movies he's in aren't always, you know, real great. But I think that he always brings kind of like a a certain like liveliness to it. And here he's just kind of like boring terrorist behind a laptop guy. And it's even that's disappointing. Everything about this movie feels like kind of soggy. And, um, it's, and, uh, you know, not to bury the lead, but like you completely waste Mr. Adkins, which is like one of the most surprising things about it. Um, they just give him nothing to do. And it's, uh, and, you know, as somebody who's becoming more of a Scott Adkins fan, because I'm getting more familiar with his work a lot of thanks to this, to this show, um, it's just seems shocking. Like you're just like, he's got so much more that he could do. And you're just asking him to, you know, deliver a line or two and then kind of just be agent in suit. And that's it. Yeah. You know, we, we talked offline. I mentioned that, that, that I think the best analogy I have for this movie is that it casts Scott Atkins and then it puts him behind a computer for the entire movie. Um, and, and that just kind of tells you everything. But another one that you just made me think of is, yeah, Jordy Mola. Jordy Mola is a very, very good actor, and he has a lot of range. But bad guy Jordy Mola is absolutely unhinged. You know, you think of Bad Boys 2 or even like Night and Day or or even his role in Riddick. Uh, and you, you can find that personality to, again, behind a laptop for most of the movie. I mean, there is so much for what should be a balls-out action movie and does have a fair number of shootouts. There is so much time behind computers in this thing that I can't believe it. Like, there is so many scenes of people looking at laptop screens or looking at monitors uh, and being like, and tracking. Oh, the amount of tracking that is done in this movie. The <laughs> amount of times we see screens of cars moving and them being tracked and stuff is just absolutely mind-blowing. Um, I did want to talk to you. The one part of the movie that 
that I think actually does kind of work okay is it and again for folks listening as always we're full spoilers is um I actually think the opening with Ryan Reynolds works halfway decently. What what did you think of that opening? I would agree with you. Yeah, I, I if I'm listing things that are positive about the movie, I think I I'm more of a fan of serious straight-faced Ryan Reynolds than I am of, you know, the Ryan Reynolds persona. Um I think he's a really good actor when like given the chance to play a play a a guy um, like somebody like Bill Pope and criminal or his character in smoke and aces or something like that. Like I, I really enjoy him in those movies um, or even in like a comedy, like definitely maybe or something like that. But, um, and he's not supposed to be Deadpool or whatever. Um, so I, I did like the opening and I thought that it was well directed and, you know, it, um, it, it uh, set up a more interesting movie to be honest. Um, if it was, kind of about him and it didn't have this body swap plots. Like, even though I'm a huge Costner Mark, like I would rather watch the Ryan Reynolds movie that the movie sets up than the, um, you know, Tommy Lee Jones trading brains with uh, (laughs) movie, Um, which that's another thing. Like maybe it's just because parts have kind of dried up for, you know, an actor as talented as Tommy Lee Jones. um, But to have him cast as just the scientist doctor, it's it's a total waste. It, it's really kind of egregious. And he doesn't even get to, I mean, you know, you can usually count on even in the smallest Tommy Lee Jones parts, he's going to somehow find a way to, like, Tommy Lee Jones it. Yeah. And he doesn't even do that here. Like, he this his role in this, you know, at least... Oldman gets to act like Oldman, right? He gets to freak out and do the everyone, you know, type Gary Oldman acting that he likes to do. Tommy Lee Jones doesn't even like that. That role literally could have been played. You find a character actor from any episode of law and order. You drop him into that role and it's exactly the same role. There is nothing that Tommy Lee Jones brings to that role that makes it necessary for it to be Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, I just watched um, those uh, who wish we were dead, or what, what? What's the name of that movie? The Angelina Jolie movie that just came out. I think it's those who wish we were dead. Yeah, I think that's the name. I'm or sure somebody wish, will correct us if we. Yeah, were. or those who wish us dead. I can't remember, but um, it's a it's not a good title. Um, but uh, they they out of nowhere, I was just like, wait a minute, Jake Weber's in this. I haven't seen him in forever. That's who you play. That's who you cast to be the doctor and criminal is you get Jake Weber where you're just like, oh, I like Jake Weber. This makes sense. This is a Jake Weber role. You don't need Tommy Lee Jones for this part. Can we just pause for a second on how much I friggin love Jake Weber? I, I, yeah. I Jake Weber is one of those random actors uh, that for years I have been a massive fan of because he starred. I don't even know if you remember this show, Adam. He starred in a, a TV show that uh, was only on for one season with Gary Cole called American Gothic, uh, where Gary Cole was like this evil, potentially supernatural sheriff. 
and Jake Weber and Paige Turco were the heroes that were trying. It was this very like high concept TV show. I think it came out. I'm actually going to look it up right now. I think it came out. I want to say in '93. Um, okay. uh, it was produced by Sean Cassidy of the uh, of the Hardy Boys fame. Uh, and, uh, anyway, it, it was actually a, a terrific TV show had baby Lucas black in it. Um, and I always was a big fan of Jake Weber because of that show. And, and so ever since then, like when I saw him, I was more excited when Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead came out that Jake Weber was in it than anybody else in that movie. I was like, oh my God, Jake Weber is going to star in a fairly major Hollywood release. So I just, I'm thankful that you brought up Jake Weber. I just, I needed to do a victory lap on Jake Weber. (laughs) No, that's great. That's one of my favorite things about you is like you, you have this, you know, this torch burning for a lot of actors that we don't get to talk about that often. So um, yeah, Jake Weber is always a guy that I'm happy to see in movies. He was he was a guy, you know, like around quite a bit for a while. Like I remember like around the time of like U571 maybe to about Dawn of the Dead. He was popping up in a ton of stuff. Um, one thing I will say about Criminal, and it's a choice that the filmmakers decided to do, but it also kind of was the most interesting thing in the movie for me is... Um, so I had mentioned at one point when I saw Jack Reacher Never Go Back, the not great sequel to the great Jack Reacher. Um, I was like, why is there such a preoccupation with food in this movie? Because it was like, it was the movie, but then they'd be like, well, did she eat breakfast? Well, we got to stop and get lunch. Um, we should order takeout. And it was just like, what is happening? Like, why do we need to track the meals of all these characters? And in Criminal, it's customer from hell. For some reason, they decided that Kevin Costner, um, to project, to show how nuts he is as a sociopath, we need to see him be a sociopath at a kebab stand, at a library, at a pharmacy, at a cafe. I'm just like, why are all these like service industry jobs <laughs> like where he's going to project his, his uh, mental illness. I don't get this, but I thought it was kind of funny after a while. Well, and that's all, that was one of the things when you kind of brought up, I actually thought that's where you were, when you said that there was a part that you liked where it goes kind of crazy. I, I actually thought that's what you were going to bring up because. Okay. I, was, I don't like him in those scenes because I, was, I think that he's relying too much on like his 3000 miles to Graceland performance, which I don't think works. So he, that's what that, those scenes reminded me of. But um, yeah, it's just the quantity of them becomes funny. Yeah. Well, and so I was, I was reading the IMDB trivia as I do. And, and not that you ever, again, you never want, you always got to talk about the movie you got, not the movie that you wanted, but. On IMDb, it notes that Nicolas Cage, it says turn down a lead role, but come on, he's he had to be Jericho, right? I mean, there's no yeah. other. And and I I sw- before I even knew that, I swear to God, I was watching those scenes last night, thinking, is Costner trying to do like a Nicolas Cage <laughs> thing here? Because if those scenes are done with Nick Cage, they're totally different, right? And they are a thousand percent more interesting. Mm-hmm. 
But they're just kind of, un- because again, because Coster is not wacky crazy fun. He's like prickly kill you in your sleep crazy. It, they're, they're just really uncomfortable. They're not, I think, I think the idea is they are supposed to be at least somewhat comical. But he doesn't, and I'm not saying this is a negative to Costner necessarily, more of a criticism of possibly the casting. He's not the right actor for those scenes, or at least his decisions in this movie and the way he chooses to play them or the way the director told him to play them is not right. These needed to be Nick Cage scenes. These needed to be like full-blown, you know, when he's like in the cafe and he's speaking French and then he's like, what language am I speaking? And, uh, you know, and like the way he says, I'm speaking fucking Spanish. And the other guy's like, you're speaking French, asshole. You know, like it just would be so much more interesting with somebody like Nick Cage delivering those lines. Uh, and it would also kind of in a way make it a little more interestingly dangerous because you just never know what Nick is going to do. I mean, that's kind of his thing is you never know what Nick is going to do here. It was just like, OK, now he's going to be an asshole to this guy and. Blah, blah, blah. You know, it just, they didn't work, but I still found them fascinating. Those scenes were fascinating for me to watch for the decisions that were made. Yeah, it's it's like getting, I, I have two thoughts about that. One, one is just, as much as I like Costner, like every every actor has areas that he's better at than, than others. And Costner can be funny, but he's funny in like that rascal type way, like tin cup upside of anger where it's like very sardonic, very sardonic and sarcastic. Yeah. Or even field of dreams where it's just kind of like goofy. He's, I mean, like as much as we remember field of dreams as being this tearjerker, like Ray Casella is a goofy dude. (laughs) And that's kind of one of the things that I like so much about field of dreams. Um, But broadly comedic in like 3000 miles to Graceland or these scenes in criminal, it's just not his thing. And like, he just has too much of a, of a heaviness to him as a persona um, for that really to work. Whereas I think Nicholas Cage obviously has and could, has made it work in other movies and would make it work in, in criminal. Um, but uh, I, yeah, and uh, I, I had another thought, but I can't remember. But if we if we keep talking, I might remember it and come back to it. Yeah, no, you're you're. That's the thing, you know. The only movie where I think he was really broadly comic that worked was Silverado, and you, yeah, that was yeah. like one of his very first movies, and that only really worked because he was so young and he was yeah. playing off Scott Glenn, who does the you know who was Kevin Costner before Kevin Costner, basically. Uh, but here, yeah, it's like that first scene where he's in the, the like, the sub shop. I'm just like, this isn't really establishing that he's, like, this dangerous, violent criminal. It's just establishing that he's a dick, uh, which isn't the same thing, you know? Um, I did like, I will say, I did like his introduction. I liked when we first meet him in the prison and he's got the neck chain on that. That was a very clever visual way to establish this guy is that dangerous and and that he's off, right? Because he's like obsessed with getting his lunch. He needs his lunch. Uh, Going back to that like weird thing that, you know, food and customer service stuff. But like, 
it works. And I like when they're trying to tranquilize him. He's like, you're going to need two of those. And he starts running around his cell and the guy can't hit him. Like, but again, the movie doesn't really follow up with that kind of tone. It was like a random isolated scene that the, the rest of the movie doesn't follow up with at all. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Like, the image of him just kind of all disheveled in the prison cell reminded me of the opening of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves a little bit, which kind of was a funny like visual callback to me. But also I agree with you. Like um, one of the things that you need, because Jericho is supposed to be just beyond nuts. um, He seems to fall in line with the Ryan Reynolds persona too quickly for me like i feel like there needs to be more of a jekyll and hyde almost like he's venom or something like type of thing going on and i think if of course you know it's not the movie that was made but if nicholas cage was in it i think it would be more kind of a push and pull between you know kind of stand up ryan reynolds persona um in criminal and kind of wild man nicholas cage type of thing well, I mean, we know that would be the case because we've seen Face Off, yeah. right? Like, Face Off exists. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah so, perfect, yeah. So we know exactly what it would have been. Um, and that is the problem, is when the Bill Pope memories, when the Ryan Reynolds memories start taking over and Costner starts becoming more gruff but kind, I will say I buy it. A lot more. I I just I do not buy the evil Kevin Costner in this. And I've bought evil. We just talked about a perfect world. I've bought evil yeah. Kevin Costner before. I don't yeah. buy evil Kevin Costner in this. We're not starting from a position. So when the inevitable change occurs, it's not really that moving or effective because I'm not invested in the crazy evil. Jericho. Uh, I love that you brought up Venom because actually, frankly, that is a perfect example. And it's, I'm fairly well documented as being a defender of that movie because I think it's, it's ridiculous. Funny. I think it's, yeah, I, I, I don't love the movie, but I, I think it's a lot better than its detractors will say it is. It's, Look, it's fun. You give me a movie where Tom Hardy jumps into a fucking lobster tank and starts eating lobsters. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm there. I'm, I'm a simple man with simple wants and I am there, but that's the problem is he's, he's so, because one thing I think I will say about Costner is he's never exactly been the most expressive. Isn't the right word, but he's always been a fairly contained actor, right? He doesn't do over the top very often in his career. And I do feel like Jericho Stewart before Bill Pope required a much more over the top performance. Uh, It's one of the things that I think makes a lot of this movie dull is because he's, he's not that over the top. We're not really that he's not actually that interesting of a character until he starts becoming Bill Pope. And then I think he does get more interesting. Yeah, it, contained is a really good word to describe Costner because he, um, the thing, the performances of, of his that I like a lot, some like some of his darker performances, like Open Range is one that I think is just awesome. Is brilliant movie. He's love it, absolutely love it. It's a, it's a great great movie, and um, he's very internal and contained, 
but like he's like elements of that nuts psycho character which he is in open range i mean he's done a lot of bad stuff in that movie up before the the start of the movie that we that we're watching it's like seeping out of him like he's good at the internal and trying to like keep it together not so much like when he's asked to be like externally nuts or externally vicious and stuff like that same thing with mr brooks it's like he's trying to like he's trying to maintain a sense of normalcy but like the evilness kind of just escapes him like it comes out of him and he can't help it and that, that that's something that makes it so interesting it's like the inversion of the boy scout character that he that he played and kind of popularized in the in the early 90s um so yeah i i one thing that's kind of good about costner i think with criminal maybe is that i heard a theory once that like you don't hire the actor that like matches the performance that you want at the beginning you hire the person that like is right for the part where the character lands in the end. And I think that sort of works um, because you go through the stages of Costner where it's like, he's not great at playing a crazy guy, but he's good at being a jerk. (laughs) And he's even better at being like the stand up responsible father type. Um, So as the movie goes along, maybe the performance works more and more. But also, and I don't mean to, like, call out any one actor, but, like, I, 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 if you need, if, if Criminal needs a heart and soul, it needs to be the performance that Gal Gadot gives in the movie. And I, she's good in other movies. I think in this one, she's too um, hard to read. And I think like it needs to be more of a beating heart performance. You need an actor that's a little bit more like immediately sympathetic and not somebody who's very much um, kind of great on camera, but also isn't the most expressive either. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm tapped in or I'm, I'm tiptoeing it because I don't want to be mean, but I just don't think that Gal Gadot is the right choice for that part in this movie. So um, I want to jump back to Open Range really quick and then talk to yep. you about Gal Gadot. Um, I love that you brought that one up because I think that's one of the biggest problems with this movie. So his character in Open Range, we see in that movie, we know who, we see that he lived a life in a bad life mm-hmm. prior to the start of that movie, right? And then we get that, I don't know if you want to call it catharsis, but that release when it's finally he has to unleash that, you know, at the end. And, but but the way Costner plays that character, it's very obvious. There is a life lived before we meet this character, and we feel that. We know that as the audience. We don't know all, any of, really any of the details, but we know that. Here with Jericho, it's a textbook case of tell, don't show. Nothing about his performance in this gives me any sense of who Jericho Stewart was before we meet him. You know, he says, I was mostly a number. I, did, I didn't I did always act right, and I, I did a lot of bad things. And it's like, okay, but I don't, I don't have any sense of that. I don't have any sense of who you were prior to this. His, 
Yeah, his character wouldn't have that awareness either. Yeah. Well, I guess the idea with that is that that was when Bill was already starting to kind of influence him. But but I agree. There's no there's no pre-existence prior to the movie. There's no history with this character. And so it doesn't have that resonance that he does mm. when he's at his best. Um, I, I will fully admit I am a, a an absolute Gal Gadot stan, problematic though okay. she may be. Uh, so I have a very difficult time objectively judging her performances, but I do think I agree with you. I enjoyed her in this because I just enjoy her as an actress. I Obviously, she is... Uh, she's not a mere mortal. She is sent here by aliens because no human being should be that gorgeous. Uh, but also, you know, she, uh, I just, I, I've always enjoyed her. I, going back to the Fast and Furious movies and stuff, I've always really liked her. But I think I do agree with you that, that there is, again, a missing thing. And, and one thing that always, that kind of bothered me about this, and I'm, I'm not one to always point this out, but, when Jericho starts becoming Bill, like, I'm not going to lie, the age difference kind of bugged me. Like, Costner yeah. looks real old in this movie, and Gal yeah. Gadot does not, and Ryan Reynolds does not. That kept kind of taking me out of the movie a little bit. Uh, this is one of those times where I think, you know, one of the things that Face Off did well is Travolta and Cage are relatively the same age where we're swapping similar actors ryan reynolds and kevin costner are not uh for a multitude of reasons but let alone the fact that there's a 20 year age difference between the two of them um and so that was something that always felt a little i don't know it just it kind of it, it it gave me problems in the movie well, and, and where the movie lands at the end, which is presumably, you know, Brian Reynolds is Bill Pope's brain is going to live in Kevin Costner. And like, he's going to just resume Bill Pope's life with Jill Pope and their daughter. Um, on one hand, I get it because it's like if you still had the soul and intelligence of your your deceased love of your life soulmate. Um, you probably wouldn't want to say like, well, I think we should, you know, this is where it ends. Like that doesn't make a whole lot of sense either, but at the same time, yeah, it is such a disparity between the man that she was married to physically and like now this much older man <laughs> that she's going to be presumably having a love life with, uh, as well as raising their daughter. <laughs> so, uh, it's, it's weird. Um, and I think the movie sort of tries to do the looper thing where it's just like, it's a brain surgery. Um, you know, just, we don't have to explain it. This is the conceit of the movie. Just get over it. And that's fine. But I mean, like at the same time, I mean, like they can't blame us for having like weird feelings about how we're supposed to, you know, interpret the end or not interpret the ending, but like feel about the ending. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that goes back to, you know, the whole thing that film is a visual medium, right? Because like, look, yeah. I, I feel fairly confident saying that if, you know, if I died and you could somehow put my brain in, 
even though he's long dead, this is the first person I thought of, George Burns' body, you know, my wife would still <laughs> stay with George Burns. Like, she would be happy to yeah. do that. I, so I get that it, from a real-world standpoint, but film is a visual medium, and we are seeing yeah. things on screen, and the and it also doesn't help that I just don't, and maybe this does go to your point of, of Gal Gadot was not the right person for this. I think there's a twofold problem. One, we never see her actually interact with Ryan Reynolds because all we get are these brief flashes. We don't even get like full flashback scenes where we see them act together. Like, I'm not even sure. Yeah, they, they had were... a phone call at the beginning and that's it. That's, that's it. like cross that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not even sure. I doubt they were even ever on set at the same time. Yeah. Right. Um, and two, she's got no chemistry with Costner. And so it it feels weird because it would be one thing if she'd had like, again, not that I I'm constant. I'm not trying to constantly compare this to face off, but we see John Travolta and Joan Allen together. But then we also mm-hmm. see that she has hella chemistry with Nick Cage in that movie. And yeah. so it makes it really easy for us to buy that. She buys that. Yes, this is Sean Archer in Caster Troy's body. And I, that that's not there. That relationship is not there. There is no, again, it's another tell, don't show kind of movie. They tell us she buys it because Costner tells her all these memories that only he could have. And you can see Costner, he's working his ass off in those scenes. I will give the man credit. He is working his ass off. To sell those scenes. Yeah. But he still yeah, can't sell her, them. Yeah, with her, like, and this is just, this is just kind of like, you know, some actors just kind of are, these are good problems to have. She's immediately iconic as an actor. Like, she's cool in Fast and Furious movies. She's immediately, like, the Han the female equivalent to Han in in the Fast and the Furious movies. Um, In Wonder Woman, that's an iconic persona. She fits that. And I think she's really good as, you know, the humanistic elements of Diana and also the superhero aspects of Diana. In this, where she's just playing, you know, uh, I I think she was like a librarian or like somebody who works in with book collections. And... uh, a mother and just kind of a normal person. Um, I just don't get it. Like I, it's, it's almost like asking, like, it's like when Steve McQueen played a teenager in the blob, it's like, that's not who you get. (laughs) It doesn't. And you know, the blob thing is like what, you know, that was a huge age thing too. But I mean, it just seems like they can't play down to that level. It's like asking Tom Hanks, to play a uh, kind of a, you know, a, a simpleton in the sense of like Larry Crown. It's just like, no, Tom Hanks is too intelligent to play Larry Crown. He's t- you would be- you believe that he would have his life more together than Larry Crown would, um, even though he played Forrest Gump and like was really good in that. But um, I don't know. Yeah, no, that's 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 a perfect yeah. example, because speaking of Fast and Furious, thinking of. You know, some take somebody like Vin Diesel. I don't really want, expect Vin Diesel to act like, like, I don't want to watch a neighborhood drama 
with Vin Diesel, mm-hmm. right? Like, because he's an icon. He's a legend. He's a monster. He's fucking Riddick. Like, sometimes, this is the thing I, I will say, because, you know, because people always talk about that we don't have movie stars anymore. Yes. Gal Gadot is a movie star, but she is a movie star in that classic Hollywood sense, that that Rita Hayworth sense, where housewife and mother is actually not a role she's capable of playing because she is too one. I don't think she necessarily has the range. That's the criticism, but the positive is also, she is too, she's too bigger than life to play that kind of role. Uh, Because like you said, she's immediately iconic and she does nothing iconic in this movie. Uh, they, they could have at least given her a shootout or something. You know what I'm saying? Like something to make it justify why it's Gal Gadot. Again, very similar to the Tommy Lee Jones role. I could have plucked 150 different actresses who could have played this role and probably played it better, but they wouldn't have been Gal Gadot. Um, and that seems like what this movie was all about is like, let's just get the best the biggest names we can for a $35 million budget movie. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's, it's definitely the, um, you know, the, the, it's like they're building a super team, like an NBA super team, but like a lot of the guys, but it's like, you have, you know, four power forwards. It's like, you don't need that. (laughs) You don't need it. Like you could have it, but you don't need it. Well, and I, I actually thought of that because we do have uh, an actress that I am actually quite a fan of who I think has not had maybe the career that she should. Uh, Alice Eve is in this. And, you know, I actually think she might have been a far better choice to play Jill Pope than Gal Gadot uh, because she does have, you know, she's, again, stunningly beautiful, but she has a much more down to earth vibe to her than Gal Gadot does. Um, and so she I fits the scale of it a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just, I, there is just a lot of weird, weird casting decisions made in this movie. Um, two other actors we do need to talk about. We mentioned a little bit, Gary Oldman. This is, this is a, a buy a house movie for Gary, right? Like, this is Gary's in tax trouble and he needs to pay some taxes. (laughs) Yeah, I Gary Oldman's interesting for me because he can be so great in some things. And then in other things, yeah, it's either a buy the house role or he's just, I think, kind of actively making the movie worse. And I think in Criminal, he's sort of is kind of setting the tone to make a worse movie than, than uh, maybe it even is. I don't know. I think, I, I think he's, there's just something off about, about his performance. It just feels way too um, like, like you don't believe like, like, all right, ostensibly he's like a division head or something, or like a very talented person, like within the government. <laughs> He's so emotional. <laughs> like, I just don't buy it that he's uh, like, I think there would be like a certain level of more professionalism with somebody in his position. Um, 
like why is he as a police commissioner so much more together than he is as like this guy who's head of an op in the in, in the government i don't know it he seems yells all the time right all he does in this right. movie is yell yeah. Yeah, I'm not a fan of his performance in this. It's uh, it's pretty bad, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I'm with you. This one's not... You know, again, I know Gary Oldman has become problematic, but I don't think there's any question that he, when he is on his game, is as good. And even sometimes being on his game uh, is being crazy and over the top. Um, yeah. You know, I know a lot of people love uh, Leon, the professional. I'm not a fan of that movie, but they love him in it. And he's way over the top in that. But here he's just there's all he does is yell the whole time. Um, Or even in like Air Force One. I mean, he's supposed to be an extremist. So like he plays it like that temperament. It makes sense. Yeah. And in here it's, it's like it felt like an actor trying to keep himself interested. And to the detriment of the movie. Um, so I, yeah, I'm not, like I said, I mean, even in movies I don't like, like I didn't like Mank all that much, but he buries himself in that character. I mean, he might not be, you know, completely right to play that, that role, but, um, you know, he's definitely like burrowed in there. And in this, it just seems like he just is, you know, like you said, you know, buying a dare to, to buy a house. Yeah, no, I it made me think a lot of a movie that he did. Uh, I, I, I'm going to just, this is good podcasting content, but I'm going to look it up. Uh, sorry, folks, bear with me. A movie that he did with uh, Olga Korolenko, who I love, The Courier, where he's in the movie and he yells a lot, and I don't think he ever actually gets out of his chair, right? Like, I think the entire movie he is in a chair, and he had to have been on set for like three days. And it's just, you know, and I, again, actors gotta, actors gotta work. Actors gotta, gotta get money and gotta get paid. But it, this is not going to go down as one of the great Gary Oldman performances. Um, the last actor we got to talk about is an actor who, unfortunately, in spite of the fact that he's one in one of my all time favorite TV shows, Dawson's Creek and in one of my all-time favorite Broadway musicals, the movie version of one of my all-time favorite Broadway musicals, uh, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Sometimes I just find Michael Pitt insufferable, and this is one of those movies. I forgot he was in Dawson's Creek. I was racking my brain thinking, I'm like, where was Joshua Jackson? Where was James Vanderbeek in this movie? Um, Yeah. Yeah. I don't have much of an opinion uh, one way or the other of Michael Pitt, but what opinion I do have, I'm not generally a huge fan of his. So I don't know. I mean, like the character he's playing is ridiculous. Um, I mean, like just, uh, I, I, <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. I don't want to be unkind. Yeah, it's, it's not, it's not, it's just, uh, anyway, it is what it is. Um, <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, Adam, I feel like we have we have kind of beat up on criminal enough. Uh, I I am going to ask you unless there's anything else you want to add about it. I do have a few other questions and things I want to talk to you about. But is there anything you want to add specifically about criminal? 
I just want to say I enjoyed the conversation that we had about criminal a lot more than I did watching criminal. So thank you for that. At least I got a positive experience out of the deal. Yeah, that 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 is exactly how I feel as well. Um, it, it was more fun to talk about it than it was to watch it. Um, all right. So. Would you. So I, I have two levels of recommendation. I have recommend and for completionists only because people that are listening to this are, I, I, I used to do not recommend, but it's like, well, if you're listening to this, even if we don't recommend it, you're probably still going to want to watch it if it's got Scott, right? So recommend or for completionists only, I think the answer is pretty obvious, but just to make it clear. Yeah, for completionists only. Yeah, it's definitely a for completionists only for me as well. Um, there, This is... This is not, this is far from the, I think, worst movie that I've talked about and will talk about on this show, um, but it might be the dullest. It, it might be the one that is just the most boring to actually sit through and watch. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I mean, like, for, for me, I'm watching it. Um, you know, even though for the show, it was under the pretenses of a a Scott Adkins movie, um, which it it fails, you know, exceedingly as that, um, as a Kevin Costner movie, like this kind of exists in like the whole period of real hit and miss stuff for me in the, the last decade with like black and white and, you know, but every once in a while you would get like McFarland USA, which is better than. I expected it to be. So you just never know. You just have to watch all of them. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's what you have to do, right? Like you, you love Costner, you know, you and Patrick have done, you know, Patrick did his Nicholas Cage rewatch. You love John Travolta. You watch, you know, I, you guys watch movies that I would never watch. And that's, that's, that's where I'm at with Atkins, right? Like I still have, I have one movie left that I have never seen and I'm saving it for the episode. But other than that, I have seen every Scott Atkins movie and I have seen all of them multiple times. So when you're a fan, that's just what you do, right? You just, yeah. you do that. Um, all right. First question, Jericho Stewart or Jericho Kane? Better Jericho. Just the name or the character? Uh, both. I, I think we can agree Jericho Kane is probably a better name, right? Like that's that's a pretty great name. But the character Jericho Stewart, Jericho Kane. For those who All don't right. know, Jericho Kane is Arnold Schwarzenegger's character from End of Days. I'm so happy that you said that because I, for the lie, was going to have to Google it. I was like, who was Jericho Kane again? Um, so yeah, Jericho Kane, of course, better name character. I'm going to say Jericho Stewart is actually a better character than Jericho Kane. It's a, it's a real like Sophie's choice of bad though. It, it, it is. It is. And, and uh, I don't know why we have, more than one Jericho in a movie. It's not, not really a move. It's not really a name that uh, lends itself to, uh, but, uh, I don't know. I, it's Waker Wells is way worse than Jericho Stewart. You are right. And Xavier Heim, every time they kept calling him Heimdall, I just kept thinking Idris Elba with a giant sword was going to show up. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, 
All right. So uh, Jericho, Jericho Kane, a better name, Jericho Stewart. Yeah, I guess I could probably go. I I know you hate end of days or dislike. I don't even want to say hate, but dislike end of days more than I do. But I think you're probably yeah. right. Um, all right. And uh, it obviously wouldn't be me if I didn't ask this question. Criminal or draft day? A draft day. Draft of day, of course, right? But I had to ask, right? I yeah, had to ask. Sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's draft That's day. The, that was the easiest question anyone's asked me all year. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no question. It's uh, yeah. uh, We got a few more minutes. Adam, I, you know that one of the things I love most about you is your love of draft day. It's not an action movie. It's not even remotely related to this podcast, but I friggin' adore it. And I and you have actually made me love your love of that movie has made me love that movie. Uh, so tell everybody why you love Draft Day so much. Um. Yeah, I got one more thing to say about Criminal, but I'll say that after I answer your question. Um. The Draft Day is a movie that I love even more than I would if it was just a movie that I loved from the beginning, because it took me a while to love it. Um, it was something like where it was like, if you go out on a first date and you're just like, I'm not sure this isn't love at first sight, but then like about a month or two in, you're just like, Oh my God, this person's like so much better than I even originally thought. Um, the thing I love about draft day is that it's the football answer to Moneyball but without any of the um, sophistication of Moneyball. <laughs> um, it also kind of operates in the same way as I think a lot of classic, just, I don't know if I'd even say like what type of movie, because it, it's got kind of the pattern of like, uh, like a, a West Wing or like a TCM classic type movie. It's very classical in, the, in that sense. Um, it's, very silly, but it's got these super charismatic performances and characters in it um, that are very memorable, especially the late, great Chadwick Boseman as Vontae Mack, who is just like, it could have just been the athlete. And instead he becomes like when they draft him at the end of draft day, it feels as right as like when, Vigo Mortensen becomes the king in Return of the King. Um, it just feels like you've made the absolute perfect choice and like you couldn't have done any better. Um, but yeah, I think I'm also just a sucker for sports and particularly the front office side of it. And um, this movie is like fantasy football. It's like you get to put your yourself in the headspace of a GM and like, what would you do? And let's see him kind of how it operates. And a lot of it is obviously exaggerated for effect and, you know, fictional and everything like that. But um, I don't know. And it's just got that great Costner swagger to it. I love his. He kind of has the the glint in his eye that he does in like a Bull Durham, but he also has like the real dickishness that he does in Waterworld <laughs> and. When you put it together, it's like PB and J. I love it. It's just uh, it's uh, it, it's a it's not a great movie, but it's like a magical movie. So it, I when I first watched it, it was a solid two star movie for me, and yeah. then you started talking about it, 
And then because of you, I watched it again. And then I watched it again. And then I watched it again. And I I love the like analogy of like a first date where I'm not sure this is going to go. And then you end up like 40 years later married and, you know, happily for 40 years with like three kids and all of that stuff, because it, it, and even before you really started talking about it, it was a movie after I first saw it that it, it stuck with me. You know, I, I uh, one thing that you mentioned, Chadwick Boseman. So I am currently, my wife and I are currently in the middle of doing a Smallville rewatch. And he's mm-hmm. only in one scene, but Jesus Christ, Tom Welling just shows up for one scene and like nails it. And there is so much in that movie that is, it is a movie that the, I almost want to say that maybe the whole is actually less than the sum of its parts, but the parts are so good that it yeah. doesn't matter. And no spoilers. Talk about a movie that sticks the fucking landing. And yeah. that's, yeah. you know, that, and I think that's what really stuck with me. And then hearing you talk about it. So folks listening, it's not an action movie. It's not Scott Adkins related. Uh, but watch draft day. <laughs> it's, it's friggin' terrific. It's so good. Yeah. It's one of those movies where like you, you're preconditioned by the critical masses to feel a certain way about it. Like this could never be more than at best, like a three-star movie just because of what it is of like the package only allows for it to be a three-star movie. And then your intuition kicks in. And you're just like, you know what? I really love that more than I do a so-called four-star movie. That's, you know, just to use an example, say like a nomad land or something like that. Like, I really like nomad land. It's really good. It's probably objectively a better movie, but subjectively I would watch the shit out of draft day and I would never, ever watch nomad land again. So obviously two movies trying to succeed at different things, but I think that there's a certain preconditioning amongst the critical community community sometimes that dismisses popular entertainment, like a movie like draft day that, is sneakily kind of great and sneakily kind of, as I mentioned, a little bit more magical than a Oscar contender. Well, and I actually need to tell you this, that, that your love of draft day is actually a part of the reason that this show even exists because just exactly what you described, the idea that, there are these movies that are on this sort of objective critical scale like Nomadland that are very good. But hearing you constantly talk about how much you love draft day and you and Patrick doing the bit of this movie or draft day and seeing which ones you're like draft day or this movie made me realize Mm -hmm. that, yeah, at the end of the day, you know what? I don't care how good your movie is. I'd still rather watch undisputed three. Maybe I should do something about this. Maybe I should like talk about why Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning is an amazing movie that I have seen like 12 times when I haven't seen a single Oscar winner more than once for the last 10 years, you know, and uh, and a big part of that was your love of draft day. So I appreciate 
and and want to thank you for that, man, because you you are actually that love, that passion you have is a big part of the reason that I'm even we're even talking right now. Well, I'm I'm really flattered that that you said that. Um, one of the things that I and this is going to sound pretentious, but it's a theory that I have, which is if you take a look at all of your favorite movies, and I'm talking to anybody listening to this, say like you have a list of like your ten favorite movies. If you say like Jaws is on there, it makes total sense. And Jaws is my second favorite movie. But if you have something like Draft Day on there that not everybody else has, if you really kind of think about like, why is this one of your favorite movies? That's the movie that's going to tell you a little bit more about yourself than the movie that is maybe your so-called favorite movie that everybody else also loves. So I think like these movies that, like, why do I love, and to use me as an example again, why do I love The Intern with Robert De Niro and Anne Hathaway so much? That's a movie that tells me something about myself. It's like, when I dig into, like, why do I like this so much, I learn something about myself. And um, I think that that's something that, you know, a, that's why I think a movie like Draft Day is kind of magical, because it, it's speaking back to you a little bit more. So then, um, because it's yours, it's a little bit more yours than something like Jaws, which is everybody's. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and this is a a mega successful movie, but that's, I have for years always said Spider-Man 2 is my favorite Mm -hmm. movie. And that's because no movie ever, I don't care how good it is, how many Oscars it's won, no movie has ever spoke to me the way spider-man 2 did um no movie has ever become a part of my soul the way that movie has uh and and i've got plenty of other movies that are great and that i think are fantastic and are but that's the one that i always tell people you know if you ever want to know anything about me as a person just watch spider-man 2 that's literally all you need to know about me is, is it's, yeah. it's in that movie. Um, all right. You said you had one last thing you want to say about criminal before we started wrapping stuff up. Yeah. Um, sometimes uh, an event can happen that can retroactively make you remember that. Whereas you weren't sure at the time if you made the right decision or not, but then years later, you're just like, oh, no, now I know I made the right decision. And criminal um, was one where I was on vacation and I was in between. I was I was on a Disney vacation. I was in Orlando and I was in between meeting up with two different friends. So one friend was going to hang out with me for half the trip. The other friend was going to hang out with me for the second half of the trip. So I had one evening where like it was just me. So I went down to Disney Springs and I went to the AMC and I was like, I need to find a movie to see. And my choice, one of my choices was criminal. And I almost saw criminal. And then I decided instead just to go get a Cuban sandwich. And I made the right choice. I mean, honestly, 98% of the time, just getting a Cuban sandwich is going to be the right choice because Cuban sandwiches are delicious. But yes, you definitely made the right choice here. Um, yeah. I I uh, I appreciate you watching this one for the show and for me. 
Um, I don't feel too bad because at least you can chalk off another Costner movie from the list, but uh, I do wish it had been a better, more enjoyable experience for both of us, unfortunately. Um, Good. That's how it shakes out sometimes. All right. So before I have you plug some shit, uh, at the time we are recording, we are two days out from uh, one of the holiest months of the calendar year. And uh, this will drop in the middle of said month. Uh, Adam, it is Junesploitation. Tell everybody what Junesploitation is. Junesploitation is a month uh, celebrating the exploitation genre of film. Um, Every day during June, uh, there's going to be a highlight of a different theme or actor or genre or subgenre. Um, so, for example, on on June first, it'll be '80s action movies. On June second, it'll be um, slashers. June third, a day dedicated to Henry Silva. Um, so, it's for the site that I write for F This Movie. That's fthismovie.com. The letter F This Movie, um, and. Yeah, we would love for you to join us. Um, what we do is there's a post each day. So say like Henry Silva Day, there's a post. And then you just watch a Henry Silva movie and then you post about it. You write a little mini review and then everybody else sees it. And then you see what they have been what other people have been watching and get some recommendations for some hidden gems. It's a real good like um, deep dive into exploitation kind of as a whole and then seeing like, you know, Hey, I read about this movie because Daniel Epler watched it and that sounds interesting. And here's another movie for me to seek out. So it's great for like building up a list of movies to watch throughout the rest of the year. Um, I'm not personally like the biggest exploitation guy, but even I could participate in June exploitation because there might be something like last year where it was animals day and I was just like, well, I'm not really like an animals attack exploitation guy, but I do want to watch the country bears finally off of Disney plus. <laughs> so that's what I ended up doing. So there's something for everybody. Um, just take the theme as literally as you can. Like if it says, you know, like it's kids day or something like that, like you don't have to watch a killer kids movie. You could just watch any kids movie, one that you love that you want to revisit or one that you never saw and you want to seek out for the first time. So um, it's a big party. Uh, it's celebrating exploitation cinema. Um, it's a great way to get more um, invested and knowledgeable about the genre. So um, we're all very welcoming and inclusive at, at fthismovie.com. So I hope you join us. If you go to the F This Movie website and click on the Junesploitation button, which I believe is at the top. Let me double check. While we're, yep, Junesploitation 2021. Click on that button. It'll give you all the details. And I am going to second this. I absolutely adore Junesploitation. I will be participating as much as I can this year. Uh, for listeners of this podcast, it is very important to note that uh, Patrick Bromley being the uh, the good, kind human being that he is, established June 10th as Scott Adkins Day. He was also kind enough to, po- to post a ridiculous article that I wrote 
where I tried to fit as many Scott Adkins movies into the various themes as I could. I couldn't fit all of them because he was a child in the 80s and he never starred in a Lucio Fulci movie. But I think I got 20 or 21 out of all of the days and it's utterly absurd. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever written and I love Patrick to death for running it. Uh, But Please participate. Please come hang out with us. Do not feel like, you know, when you hear the word exploitation, you think like 70s sleaze a lot of times. That's not really what this is all about. It is that because there's a lot of good movies to be found in that in that genre. But what it really is about is just use it as an opportunity to uh, find movies that you've never seen or that are really off the beaten path. Patrick, again, as we always say, hashtag he knows what he's doing, happened to make Cars Day basically the day that F9 drops, which I don't think anybody would traditionally consider an exploitation movie, but holy crap, Fast and Furious is literally just the most financially successful exploitation franchise of all time. I mean, that's the only way to describe it, so... And you can participate for one day or five days or every day. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, whatever fits your schedule best. Um, we would love to have you there. Yeah, absolutely. And I cannot, I've said this before, but I cannot stress that the F this movie community is the most welcoming film. Twitter is very often a dumpster fire. Uh, the F this movie community is the most welcoming film community that I have ever been a part of. Um, and so please come and play along with us and, and have a good time. Adam, uh, plug some shit. Where can people find you? Uh, yeah. So I write, uh, and do podcasts occasionally at F That's the letter F Um, coming up, I don't have any shows, but I do have, um, some articles for June exploitation themes coming up. Um, so I just watched extreme prejudice with Walter Hill, uh, directing that one from the eighties. Um, that's going to be, uh, a piece that I'm writing for Western day, which is, um, uh, June 4th, this upcoming Friday. Um, and then, uh, I do a column every week on Thursdays with my friend, Rob D. Cristino. Um, uh, called reserve seating. So we're doing our columns for June themed with in line with what, um, the theme is for, for June's exploitation that day. So we did one on, um, Johnny cool, which is a 1960s, um, gangster movie with Henry Silva for Henry Silva day. And then coming up on June 10th, um, we're covering Wolf Warrior starring Scott Adkins, which I've I've never seen. So I'm looking forward to watching that pretty soon. Oh, yeah, that's going to be awesome. Um, if you not to cross not to cross plug, but it, after you watch it, if you want to check out my episode on it with with Alex Rayo, because uh, we go pretty deep on it and it'll give you and, and Rob. I think maybe a little bit more to chew on about the movie, depending on what you think of it, but that's awesome. I cannot wait. I cannot wait to read that one. Um, I do also want to shout out that when it's not June exploitation, you and Rob had a, I don't know if it's still going, you guys might be done uh, an Al Pacino column on reserve seating. And you are also currently reviewing all the Pixar movies, which is maybe a little controversial based on some (laughs) of your takes. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, 
the Al Pacino column will be coming back in November. Um, we're taking a break because I was having Al burnout because we've covered all of the good ones. And right now we're covering a lot of his uh, not as great films. So um, we, we took a break, a pause on that one for, for baseball season. Cause one of our, our semi regular columns is about baseball movies. Um, and then the Pixar series, it is what it is. I've got weird opinions about the Pixar series. Like there's certain ones that are pretty maligned that I actually kind of enjoy. There's ones that are bona fide classics to many people that I'm just not a fan of. Um, probably the most egregious is the Incredibles. I'm not a fan of the Incredibles. So take that for what it's worth. One thing I will stress is people are are very passionate and um, uh, sincere about their Pixar opinions. If you read one of our reviews and it doesn't line up with your opinion of the Pixar movie, don't take it personally. Just love the Pixar movie that you love. <laughs> and I will also say, A, I am not a fan of The Incredibles as well. So you you, you have my sword on that one. But uh, the most recent- the one that you thought was controversial. Uh, up. Your oh, most up. recent okay. one on Up was the one that I thought. But I will say for people, uh, Adam and Rob are just absolutely delightful human beings and terrific act or terrific writers. And so regardless of whether you agree with them or not, please read their stuff because they articulate incredibly well why they feel the way they do. Uh, but please, yeah, don't just just enjoy what you enjoy. If they don't agree with you, just enjoy what 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 you enjoy. But uh I love you and Rob. I am I am happy to call you both my friend and and I love reading. Even if I because I don't always agree with you guys. There's times I'm like, really, boys, really. Well, but uh, <laughs> uh, what, what I'm I'm curious though. Do you have one in mind like other than up where you're just like really? Um, I'm I don't actually. I'm sure I oh, do, okay. but I never I never comment because. I, ultimately, I still like reading you guys, so I don't care whether yep. I agree with you or not. I'm never going to be like, oh, you guys are so wrong on this one. That's not my style. And I just I love I love reading your stuff. I do also want to shout out just recently as the time we're recording. I thought uh, you're you're starting a new series on Camp Carloco uh, and or and your your article on Basic Instinct was chef's kiss, man. That was that was some great shit. Oh, thanks. I love that. Yeah, that was that. That was one that I've always I've always wanted to write about Basic Instinct, but I was one I was nervous that I would treat it too much like I was 11 years old. So like I was sort of happy with how that turned out. Um, but yeah, we're, I, I'm doing that semi regularly throughout the summer. So um, I have I'm trying also to use it to check off a lot of Carolco movies that I haven't seen. So like. Um, Extreme Prejudice was one, and then Johnny Handsome is going to be the next one. I predict you're going to love Johnny Handsome. I could be wrong, but I that just seems to me to be extremely up your alley. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, so fthismovie.com, uh, at fthismovie on Twitter. Adam, uh, where can people find you personally if they want to follow you? Um, I just on Twitter. Um, so I'm at risky Adam. Um, and I retweet every podcast that I, I appear on, whether it's on F this movie or on Atkins undisputed or, or 
uh, any of the other shows that I've been on um, and all my articles there too. And I keep things pretty light on my Twitter page. Um, it's there to talk about movies and joke around. So uh, yeah, feel free to hit me up there um, if you'd like to chat. One of the absolute funniest people that I follow on Twitter. It is always a delight when I remember a couple months ago, we got into a Twitter conversation about Josh Lucas and I can, I wish you could have seen the smile on my face as we were tweeting back and forth. So he, he might make me go see a purge movie. Cause he's in the new one, dude, you really should. Because honestly, I am very, very much a fan of the purge movies. I think they're real fucking good. And I was very excited. He's also, he's very much in that Jake Weber category for me. Right? Like yeah. just, uh, yeah. Um, so please, if you listen, follow Adam Risky. Adam, thank you so much. Uh, I think it is fair to say that uh, we are still not at as long of a time as Criminal Runs, but I had a hell of a lot more fun talking to you than I did watching that movie, my friend. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And uh, it's always great talking to you too, Mike. We'll talk soon, my friend. Sounds good. And that will do it for this week's episode. Thank you so much to Adam Risky, and thanks as always to Scott Adkins. Be sure to listen to our bonus series where Scott and I are going to crown the greatest action star of all time. You can follow the show at linktree slash Adkins Undisputed Pod. So until next time, make sure to bring your ears, your podcast app of choice, and your fucking champion to Adkins Undisputed, the most complete Scott Adkins podcast in the world.